Welcome to Concerning CAMS, brought to you by Education Pathways. I'm Kevin Connickney, your host. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get started. Our topic today is hostile residents and how to respond. I have the pleasure to be here with attorney Steve Adamsik. Steve is a partner with the law firm of Godia Adamsik, DeBost and Cross. Welcome, Steve, to Concerning CAMS, and could you please begin by telling us a bit about your background? Thanks, Kevin. I've been an attorney in Florida for roughly 12 years now. I uh, live in Southwest Florida, grew up in Southwest Florida, but I've been practicing in the community association world uh, all through Southwest and South Florida uh, throughout my career, and that's where the focus of my practice is. Steve, as we get started today, what are some of the risks associated with dealing with hostile community members? So I think there's two types of uh, inner challenges that you see. There's um, hostile residents towards each other and hostile residents towards the board. Mm. Uh, Taking the hostile residents towards each other first, I would say know what your duty is and know a duty that you're assuming. And that's really important because even though you might have a guardhouse, even though you might have a roving patrol or something, the board is not a security force. You're not responsible for safety and security. You're not built for that. Right? You don't have training usually uh, in how to have armed guards or how to you know, protect a perimeter. And so know what your obligations, your duties are. So anytime you have hostile residents towards each other, you always want to encourage them to contact the sheriff if they ever feel that they're in danger because you can't do that. And the minute that you create the impression that you exist to protect people, the minute you might be liable when it turns out they hurt one another because they argue that you didn't do enough because you created this impression that you exist for safety. Uh, There's a really... uh, important case coming out of the East Coast of Florida where there was a guardhouse and the guard had post orders saying, don't let people through under these conditions. And well, the board knew that the guard was not following the post orders. And they also knew that it was a new company and the board was creating communications to the owners that, hey, we have safety and security. We have a security guard, these types of words and phrases. And the result was that someone got through who shouldn't have gotten through under the post orders and they killed somebody and the association ended up being liable because they fell asleep at the wheel. They did not follow through on a duty that they created, that they assumed upon themselves, right? There's no duty to provide safety and security necessarily, but when you create that impression, when you put that guard gate out there, you're assuming some obligations. And so when you have owners who are hostile to one another, it is important that you set those boundaries and inform them that you're not there to keep them safe from each other. You're not bodyguards, but that they should contact the sheriff if they ever feel that they're in danger and further that, um, that you're not there to protect them. You should make that crystal clear, um, in your communication to these owners, because they usually look to the association to say, see how much of a jerk my neighbor is. And they want you to do something about it, but it's not necessarily your role to resolve private disputes between owners. Uh, The other issue is hostility towards the board. And this happens all the time. There's always one, right, is what we say. Uh, and sometimes that one is a, is a representative of a lot of people who are, who are loud and, and, and upset, maybe justifiably so, maybe not. Uh, but they're the ones who will walk up and pound the desk at the board meeting and say, I demand action on this. And as the board, the question is, well, what do you do? And so if you're in a board meeting and you have a hostile owner, the last thing that you want to do is let the meeting get out of control. And the last thing you want to do is to let this owner create a situation where you're forced to cancel the board meeting because that's probably exactly what they want. So some recommendations there. 
are um, if you have a situation where you literally have a physical confrontation with an owner at a board meeting, pause the meeting, take a 15 minute recess, call the sheriff, have someone come by, finish the meeting. Right. If you let the meeting get canceled because of this hostile situation, then chances are you're only uh, effectuating what they wanted in the first place. Another recommendation is that some people who are angry, sometimes they just want to speak. Sometimes they just want to be heard. And so oftentimes we find that you can um, resolve a dispute by giving them the floor, which they're entitled to in some situations. The statute says that owners are entitled to speak for three minutes at least on any designated agenda item. And so sometimes just letting them speak and get something off their chest can really diffuse a hostile situation because some people just want to yell and scream, and that's fine. But then the board has to think to itself, well, if we let them scream and yell, what else do we have to do? And the answer is that you just have to listen. So if you want to get into the debate with a hostile owner at a meeting, then you could only be putting fuel in the fire. So if you're at that board meeting and it's not a situation where you should call the sheriff, but you have people who are really angry at the board and they're trying to create confrontation, sometimes the best response is, thank you for your comments. We understand and appreciate your concerns. We will take it under advisement and we'll get back to you or we'll address it at the next board meeting. And by letting them speak, by acknowledging their concern, by, by acknowledging that you'll take some time to at least consider it, sometimes you're going to diffuse the situation and get through that hostile situation at a board meeting. How should the association respond if there is hostility exhibited towards staff members of the association property? So if you have staff members, obviously there's maybe some duty to create a safe working environment. That discussion uh, can fluctuate depending on whether you have a management company or whether you have in-house managers that you employ directly, but it shouldn't be tolerated. And so oftentimes when we have owners who are being hostile towards the manager or towards vendors, we send them a cease and desist saying that all communications must be in writing, that you're not welcome to interact with management directly through the phone or in person. I think that's appropriate. Uh, we shouldn't be creating situations where uh, it's okay for owners to berate and yell and scream at people who are just there doing their job, trying to better the association. Maybe they're not perfect. None of us are perfect. Uh, maybe they're not doing their job perfectly well. But in the same token, it does no one any good to allow that. But it becomes difficult in your own community because these are people's houses. These are their castles. This is their yard that we're cutting sometimes. And when you have this, this personal attachment to the, the property, it can become very emotional. And so it is very often occurring that owners get upset and mad and angry and hostile towards management, but it shouldn't be allowed. And oftentimes, you know, a cooling off period, people will apologize, but sometimes they keep going, going, going. And you have to send them a letter that says you can only communicate via email. And then we may not respond unless we're required to by law. And sometimes you're not. And in that situation, you want to make sure that you're uh, sticking up for your management, sticking up for your team, uh, but also recognizing if there's a mistake, you to correct the mistake, but not letting it come through um, anger and hostility. And how might that advice change if it's hostility between two neighbors? So if you have the, the two neighbor situation that are going at each other, uh, again, the more this association steps into it, the more they're assuming an obligation. It's like uh, the doctor who walks by the person who's sick on the side of the road. Uh, their duty attaches once they start maybe helping the person in some states and different laws in different states are different there. But when you assume a duty. So when you have owners who are interacting and not well, uh, the more that you try to become the peacemaker, the more of a duty you're assuming. And this is important to note because you do have some duty here. You have a duty to enforce the covenants if your documents say that you shall enforce violations. So 
you have the one neighbor who's saying, my neighbor on my other side is parking in the street or they're parking right in front of my house every night to just annoy me. Or they're leaving the garage door open all the time because they know that frustrates me. Or they're smoking on the lanai and they're purposely have a fan out there so the smoke goes into my unit. They know that it annoys me. So if the association knows of a violation, you can't just put your head in the sand and ignore the violation. You have to enforce the violation. And then the other neighbor says, well, so-and-so has a video camera and they're pointing at my bedroom window. Literally, some of this stuff happens. Or every time I walk by, they have a foghorn. They blow it at me. I mean, we've seen this stuff. And again, so the issue is, is that you're not required to be a peacemaker, but you're required to enforce violations. So if, the, if you're aware of a violation, you got to enforce it. It might be to bolt their bet- detriment because they might both be violating the covenants. But then also they'll go look in the covenants and they'll look at a provision for nuisance. And this is important because every document defines nuisance differently. And so sometimes nuisance is defined as a, a difficult situation, right? Or a disruption or an annoyance. And it's really difficult for the board to walk into that. But sometimes it's defined more narrowly as maybe um, a, a pollution or some sort of physical nuisance. And so you have to look at your documents as terms of what the nuisance definition is, whether maybe you have more of an obligation to step into it, but you have a duty to enforce violations. So you can't stick your head in the sand just because they're fighting, but you also should not create the impression that you exist to resolve their private dispute. So let's take this a step further. What if an owner is threatening violence against the association or a neighbor? Thanks, Kevin. That's a good question. So you know, we talked earlier about being angry with the board and management and, uh, and yelling and screaming. Uh, but what about physical threats of violence? And we've seen that. Uh, we have an association where the association maintains and mows the grass, which is very common. And they also trim the hedges. Well, one owner didn't like the way the hedges were being trimmed. And he said, if your contractor steps on my lawn again, I'm going to exercise my stand my ground rights, implying that he's going to shoot them. That's never okay. And so in that situation, you know, even though we have a contractual duty to mow the lawn and trim the hedges, uh, we said, stop, You're, we're not going to do this for you. You're not allowed to threaten physical violence in this way. It is unacceptable and we won't tolerate it. And if you insist on creating this, this adversarial situation, we will pursue civil relief and injunction. And the owner in that situation quickly realized the error of his ways and there was an apology uh, and it diffused the situation. But you very frequently don't have it being diffused and you have the owner who digs the heels in sometimes again because they don't like the way the hedges are being trimmed. And in that situation, you have to defer to the police. You have to call the police. The more that paper trail is there, the more likely you are to get that potential civil injunction or restraining order. And uh, the association should not be trying to go uh, calm down the owner who's threatening to use physical violence. Uh, sometimes they might know the person, they think they can calm them down. But from a, a liability perspective, your first action is to always recommend that either the manager or the board contact the sheriff's department if they ever feel they're in physical danger. And when you get that actual threat of physical danger, you shouldn't ignore it. You should address it. You have to address it. Because if you don't address it, it turns out the person actually follows through in that commitment. Now you were negligent and you were ignoring a potential uh, foreseeable criminal act right, on property. Um, and potentially when you're throwing other vendors in the mix, 
right? So then you have the vendors who are also looking to the association saying, you knew about this, yet you let us continue mowing the grass or trimming the hedges or whatever the vendor is providing. And so liability can expand greatly, which is why you have to nip it in the bud right away. Take it serious, even though you might think it's a veiled threat, but take it serious and contact the police or write the demand letter and address it immediately. Steve, have you ever seen a situation where things have become so contentious between two neighbors or between a property owner and the association, and it's led to someone having to leave the community? If so, can you tell us about it? Happens all the time. Um, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you have certain expectations. And some people buy a home in a gated community, but they're unprepared for the regulation um, and the atmosphere which they're buying into. Uh, and as a result, um, their expectations are, are too high. Some people move into a community where the association provides landscaping. They're expecting every weed to be pulled. They're expecting every, every tree to be trimmed perfectly, the hedges to be trimmed perfectly. And oftentimes, these commercial relationships don't do that. And they end up getting really mad and angry about it. And the landscaping is just an example, but it happens all the time with other situations. And eventually, they move recognizing that their expectations are not what the reality of living in a gated community is sometimes. Uh, some owners, you know, want to put the trampolines in the backyard or they want to expand the pool into some big oasis, which is great. I have no objection to that. But sometimes you have setbacks and you have architectural requirements that prohibit that. Your neighbors might not want that. And the more that evolves into frustration, owners say, this ain't for me. This ain't for me. Uh, I'm going to go live someplace else. Or maybe there's more lax on restrictions or sometimes we're the more strict on restrictions. Sometimes the owner who says, I'm frustrated that you're not doing enough to enforce the rules, they're the ones who move. Uh, but it's a very frequent situation. And often, you know, ultimately, it's unfortunate that that's the result and it's expensive for everybody. But if the association is enforcing the rules and they're doing what they're supposed to, it's not really their fault that that's happening. It's just sometimes expectations are not met with reality of living in the gated community. How do associations deal with a circumstance where an owner or tenant is so difficult, inappropriate, or threatening that they may want them to leave the community, and can they? So there's definitely two people here who we're talking about, owners and tenants. Mm -hmm. uh, owners, it's almost impossible, because when you own a piece of property, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to divest them of that ownership or that right to live in the house that they own. Uh, so that's that's a very difficult situation. With a tenant, however, it's not too difficult. And so most communities have the ability to approve or deny leases. And most lease provisions and covenants say that grounds for denial are previous violations within the community. And so if you have a very problematic tenant who's breaking all the rules and yelling and screaming, yet eviction may not be the best approach then sometimes you just deny the lease application renewal. And that's the easiest way to force the tenant to leave. Or if that's not an option, you have to take immediate action. Some documents allow the association to step into the shoes of the owner and actually terminate the lease and evict a tenant in the name of the owner because of this highly contentious situation. Um, it's kind of a different topic, which we go into in great length about how to accomplish that. But yes, uh, it is possible with a tenant. It is very difficult with an owner. So if you have a neighbor that's just so difficult, you may actually have to just make the decision that you're going to move because they're making life miserable for you because even though they may be the aggressor, you may have to be the one that, that moves. We frequently see that, yeah. Wow. Uh, sometimes there's just bullies and uh, people leave because of that. Sometimes uh, you have two people who are uh, type A's and they're going at it and they refuse to give in and one person finally says enough's enough. 
I'd rather leave than, than keep on dealing with this. And so it's unfortunate, but yeah, I know it happens. Steve, thank you for joining us today on Concerning Cams to walk us through hostile residents and how to respond. If listeners have additional questions, how can they best reach you or your associates at the law firm of Godia Damsick to boast and cross? Thanks, Kevin. It was a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, our website is www.gadclaw.com, Godi Adamzik DeBost, CrossLaw.com. And that's the best way to reach us or through phone at 239-331-5100. Thank you, Steve. And we'll include this contact information in the episode notes for the podcast. <laughs>